figuring out a place where people could park their safer dollars and building a strategy there to hedge against inflation, not even necessarily growth oriented, but at least to preserve the capital. That has become increasingly more important, I think, in today's environment based on the high inflationary figures that we're seeing, as well as the combination effect, one-two punch of high inflation and hyper-low interest rates. You're listening to the Expertish Podcast. Be sure to head over to iTunes or Spotify and tell Jay what you thought about this episode. Expertish is where you can learn how to invest from those who have, those who are, and have some fun along the way. Are you ready to start? Hey, welcome to this episode of Expertish Podcast. We've got a returning guest, Devin. How's it going, Devin? Oh, it's great. It's beautiful. Feels great to be here with you again. Yeah, right on. I was going to say, if anyone who can't see the video, if they're listening on in the car or something, then Devin's sitting on uh, just you know just sitting on a little cliff over the ocean view here. So making me uh, a little jealous while we're talking here. Well, Devin, hey, uh, for everyone who does know you and give a little bit of your background and what you're doing, because obviously I know you. You take care of my money for me. So if you want to give everyone else a little bit of a description, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, and it's it really is good to be back on. The podcast, I love what you've been doing with it. I caught the last podcast, you know, that you had here with uh, blockchain, and oh, that's right pretty on. interesting for anybody who hasn't caught that last one. Whether you think it's relevant for you in your life or not, there's some, <laughs> to say the least, some interesting thoughts there that will scale some of this information that everybody's talking about with crypto and make it a little bit more palatable. I think that that was my major takeaway from the podcast that you just had there. But, you know, what I do, I've been running a financial practice, a wealth management practice for 13 years here in San Diego. And here we are, you know, on, on Jay's Expertish podcast and, you know, now talking about finance, not just to individuals, but spending a lot of time in, in these forums with lightning speed changes right now. I think happening not only in the equity market, but believe it or not, some of these slow moving pieces like interest rates or inflation are all of a sudden hot talking points. Yeah, I think a lot of people have some uncertainties after the last couple of years we've had and and now, hey, what's flying ahead and, you know, starting to see some of the changes that are occurring from things from the last couple of years, right? No, it's true. And I think when you bring up the word uncertainty, something comes to mind, you know, for me is most clients that we work with, you know, and this is a stereotype, but most clients we work with, um, regardless of their age, have some appreciation for safer dollars as they uh, progress, you know, whether it be age-wise or the size of the account, assets under management, there is some quotient there that is related to safety, you know, in an environment that we're sitting in right now with low interest rates and high inflation, at least in 2021, not necessarily in the past three years, but in right. 2021, I think it's a, a major talking point right now to be at least considerate with and arm yourself with that knowledge and figure out what dollars do you need to keep safe? You know, what dollars are being used for a down payment in the next call it six to six months to a year? And what dollars might be correlated for retirement, different dollars, different safety quotients, but still nonetheless, you know, an appreciation for safe based on that uncertainty. Right. Right. And one of the things I appreciate, I, I, shoot, we've known each other now for probably just a little over four years and, and then probably working together for probably three and a half 
But I appreciate not just our, you know, kind of quarterly updates or whatever, but the fact that what my comfort level with certain risk or where I want to put money at certain times, you listen to where where I'm comfortable, what my game plan is. And if it's solid, you help me facilitate that. And then, like you said, the different monies, then the monies that I just, you know, like, hey, make this grow, but I, I want it to be steady and safe or whatever we decide to do with the other, you know, the different pots of money. Those for me, at least, you know, some people may be involved, but for me, it's just been, hey, Devin, take this and make it work. Right. But I also know that within my own plan on some of the things, like obviously, you know, a, a lot of mine are real estate sided. If I'm telling you something and it just didn't make sense, you would tell me, which I appreciate as well. You know, it's good to have someone you can kind of a sounding board that you can even throw out crazy ideas and someone will be like, yeah, I think that's awesome it'll work and then at the same time if it won't they're like hey dude what are you thinking man your goal you know this is what you said your end goal was i don't think that's going to get you there yeah and i think part of where our process lies is really figuring out how to build that plan and it's listening and figuring out what the person's goals are so when we come back to say well this doesn't match the plan we're just really coming back and saying this doesn't match what you said you wanted to exactly. do, whether it, be, whether it be from a risk standpoint or in Southern California or California in general, <laughs> a tax standpoint, you know, right. and I oh think that God. being conscious with respect <laughs> to risk is increasingly more important in the planning space and managing investment and insurance portfolios, because you could manage the risk in terms of volatility in the capital markets or the equity space. But if you don't pay attention to taxes and how somebody is distributing money, not just growing and accumulating money, especially in environments where so many people are getting down payments ready, as, as you very well know, that's a big deal. You know, right. and I think understanding that time horizon and risk as two key points, as basic as it sounds, is so fundamental in coming back to have that conversation that you're talking about. Well, does this match my plan or not? You right. know, are we taking too much risk? Are we being tax conscious with respect to the plan? Right. Yeah. Oh my God, man. Yeah. I know I've, I've thrown things at you, like even probably things that you're like, man, that's so simple because man, I get wrapped up in the taxes. It's, it's crazy. So even like when I'm purchasing cards and stuff, I'm bouncing things off you like, Hey man. Oh yeah. Yeah. Having that team, you know, that you surround yourself with a planner on the finance side, who's handling the wealth management and the insurance, hopefully depending on where you're at, you know, where the mm -hmm. listeners are at with this, whether they, you know, need a tax professional on board with that planning team or an estate planning attorney, certainly they need, you know, a real estate professional on board as well with the increasingly larger, I think, tax landscape um, in your field right now. And of course, you know, it's helpful, I think, for the audience to keep in mind right now, taxes as a segment of planning. Mm -hmm. This yes. is a system, the tax code, whether you're in favor of it or not, which by the way, everybody, the tax code right now in, in the 2017, 2018 tax change, that is set to sunset in 2026. Mm -hmm. That's right around the corner. There will be a new tax code, but the essence of, of the tax code in the United States is helpful to think about as a system. There's not random you know, uh, tentacles out there that don't tie into each other. The tax code is a system. Yes, it's ever changing. For instance, in 2026, it will sunset and change again, but there are systems that work together. And if you understand and know what those systems are and can build a team, you in action, you want that plan to move. And we could be the players on the field really running through some of those <laughs> complicated tax patterns and things of that nature to help preserve the direction and really the head coaching that the client provides. 
Right. right. I know too, too well, well now the amplification from taxes, both in the business side and personal side and the, the planning side. So I swear, I think I spend just as much time trying to make sure that I am uh, setting myself up on the tax side as I do with the growth side, because it's almost equal in a state like this or, you know, or I mean, really anywhere, but depending on what you're working on here, especially yep. in the real estate side for me is, man, it's equally as important on the tax is what you're trying to, uh, you know, is what your expected growth is in, in property or, or that uh, any kind of income coming from it. It's, it's insane. Yeah. And it, and it goes for one generation and multiple, you know, mm-hmm. and, and for all the listeners out there right now, if you don't know, for instance, Jay, you know, and his team, you know, at Landing Collective right now, if you have any legacy planning that you want to work on, everybody out there should know what a step-up in basis is on property. And that is a huge hack, I would say, mm-hmm. or benefit within the system of the tax code that you may or may not think about today, but as you get older or have kids or want to pass things down and leave a legacy behind, you want to think about something like that. And if you don't know what it is, do a quick Google search on what a step-up in, uh, in basis is uh, with respect to property in California. You know, for most, I think, the listeners you know, at least here on the podcast, maybe not, maybe not. <laughs> we got a couple of listeners in Japan. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Big, big, big in Japan right now. That, well, I think the probably two friends of mine left back in Japan from uh, being stationed there. It's probably, that's probably where that demographic comes from. So both those people, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. We might have a couple family and friends and relatives on my end too. Yeah. There we go. I love it. I love it. But yeah, that's huge. I, I honestly, yeah. you know, God, I'd had probably, probably been through like eight properties I and mean, you know, some of them like way early on before I'd ever even knew what a basis was to be totally honest, you know? So until I kind of got into real estate as a profession, I, I had no idea. Right. Yeah. And in that concept of just understanding a basis, uh-huh. you know, when you have your basis, that's what you have taken dollars that you've already been taxed on, put them into a portfolio, whether it's real estate, or whether it's an equity portfolio, let's say a brokerage account or even an IRA, for instance, growth above and beyond that is going to be taxed differently, whether it's capital gains or ordinary income, as an example, or in the case of, you know, some varying tax, you know, taxes out there within the code that might be assessed at, but that's for you to figure out. But tax efficiently, that growth to your point earlier is going to really affect above and beyond that basis, what your net growth. Right on any one of those accounts and how they're taxed, how long they've been held, et cetera. So I I think that that's important. And I I would just mention this and and what I I said at the end, this isn't meant to be a 101 uh, tax guide over here, Um, but with respect to wealth accumulation, so planning, you have to be conscious and understand what some of the mechanisms, the fundamentals are and how to go and invest money, whether it be in real estate or, or in an all equity portfolio, say for instance, you know? Yeah. Well, something you, you just mentioned too, a key word to me is uh, when you said net growth, because as we know, like, you know, there's a lot of people in business, right. That'll say, especially, you know, entrepreneurial people or want to be that start out and love to throw around the number of figures that come through their business, but it's, but really avoid the net, yeah. right? It doesn't matter if you make a, a billion dollars, if right. if you're spending a billion and one to get it, it's not shit, yeah. right? So that net, you know- The gross is a lot sexier. <laughs> it is, the gross is really sexy, but then it's like, dude, you don't have a business. You're, you're, you have a, a, you know, I don't know, 
just <laughs> you just have a, a leaky boat that you're throwing money into. But but with that, you know, with that net concept, that it it's not just one thing that plays into that. And that's the thing that uh, when we talk about even with investors, right? Or when I, I'm sorry, when I'm talking about real estate investors, trying to get into investment properties, if they're early on investors, and we're trying to talk about certain things there, you don't have to go for say a home run, but if you're, if you're just finding good investments, there's ways you can chip away and make that net larger, right? There's different ways of how to borrow, how to, um, you know, not manipulate taxes, but take advantage of certain taxes, how to add value with like an ADU or something where the cost to build is less than cost per square foot of resale or for rental. There's all these little things that add up to a greater net, correct? You know what I mean? And I think that's where the tax part comes in. Um, or one of right. the areas yeah. that it really does come in, but even more importantly, the part that uh, I know you and I've talked about it before, and you've educated me quite a bit on this, especially early on when we were working together, but another huge, huge impact on your net is going to be for people, even whether it's a savings account or any kind of investment investment is going to be inflation. And we're seeing that jump fairly quickly. So I wanted to maybe jump into there Um with you and let you give us, a, you know, your inputs and some of your insights on what we're going to be seeing with inflation and how that impacts people across different sectors of their, whether it's investment or just even savings or retirement planning. You had mentioned there, and I think it's just naturally, uh, it's a plug though, for not trying to become an expert. We're on the Expertish podcast. You don't need to become an expert yourself. Hopefully you could jump some of the steps and listen you know, and take some tidbits of information, whether it's on a podcast like this or, or, you know, having individual conversations, somebody like you or a team to figure out what direction you really want to work on. And you might already know that, but to get that a little bit more granular and make sure you don't fall um, uh, through some of the cracks, you know, that you may not be seeing. And inflation is an interesting one because it's such a hot talking point coming into 2022. We're talking here in late January. And Um, Just to give a historical context, you know, the Federal Reserve right now has come out and a week ago slated two to three increases with respect to interest rate hikes. Now, this week, they're talking about potentially four. Uh, So every quarter, potentially hiking interest rates. Um, Why are they doing that? Well, there's a few issues as to why they might be doing that thought processes. You know, uh, supply chain issues back in 2021, you know, things of that nature that all culminated in, in, in the cost of goods and services being a little bit higher today. But it's also helpful to think about what the average inflation target of the Federal Reserve and the U.S. economy, when we think about economics, uh, would like to be the ideal inflationary number. And that's somewhere between two and two and a half percent generally, depending on who you talk to in the space. And so if we could at least settle upon that range and we take a look at the last three years, since 2018, there hasn't been an inflationary year over 2%. Right. So to see a 7% hike, roughly 6.8% hike in 2021, when we look at the average, the mean average over the last few years, it's not right on track, but it's pretty darn close. So although this is um, a big shock to the system to see a 7% inflation, when we look at the historical averages over the last few years and amortize that data, um, it's not that bad, okay, first of all. Now, that said, regardless of what the Fed you know, decides to do with respect to interest rates, 
Um, the cost and goods of service, I think most people could agree, whatever state they're in, they could feel it, whether it's at the pub or at the grocery store, people yeah. could feel that, you know, especially that are on fixed income, things of that nature, uh, pension, social security, because that will not index right. within accordance to the CPI, at least to that extent, you know, there's top end metrics, you know, in terms of the index there. So that 7% for all those out there, you know, that are thinking, what do I do with my money in the event? you know, that we experience another high inflationary year here in 2022. Well, I, I think that that is a relevant conversation for people to be thinking about. Right. And there's a lot of people that we see in our demographic here in Southern California and, and across California, really in the West Coast, you know, even through Washington, that are sitting sidelined right now with cash, mm -hmm. whether it be because they're fearful to invest in the stock market or they're waiting for the right time to purchase real estate, or they've sold a piece of real estate and have a pocket of cash and they don't know what to do with it. You know, there's a myriad of examples out there. But if we take just an example of a million dollars for easy math, for everybody here listening, you know, following along, um, this is a great step to think about. If you had a million bucks sitting in cash right now, it might be safe in cash, but I would encourage people to think about inflation and they may or may not know this. Inflation is compounding. So negative 7% over two years, if that was to happen, is not negative 14% in a compounding space. It's closer to 15 16%. Okay. So that on a million dollars, you're sitting at 850 immediately over the course of two years. That is a massive erosion to purchasing power and buying power. And that is the net result negatively of what inflation is. It devalues the currency. And you have, in effect, less to purchase, uh, less purchasing power to buy goods and services with. And so, you know, that, uh, I, I think negative 15, if we were to manage money over here and in any two year period, uh, come up with negative 15%, as a wealth management team, I don't know if we would work with any clients. Right. <laughs> right. Know, that probably wouldn't be the, the <laughs> you know, the, the point of what we're trying to do here. Um, so we have to figure out a place to park those dollars. And what's increasingly tough right now is the yield within fixed income or money market accounts as a compound to inflation, interest rates right now are at 0%. Right. You know, uh, you can't stick money in a checking and savings account and yield more than maybe 0.05%. And, you know, somebody out there might be saying, well, I could get 1% in this high yield account. Fantastic you're still short negative 5% or 6% right. in comparison to inflation. And you got to pay taxes, by the way, on that 1% that you earn there if you hold it for that duration of time. So figuring out a place where people could park their safer dollars and building a strategy there to hedge against inflation, not even necessarily growth-oriented, but at least to preserve the capital, that has become increasingly more important, I think, in today's environment based on the high inflationary figures that we're seeing, as well as the combination effect, one-two punch of high inflation and hyper-low interest rates. And by the way, although the Fed is slated to increase interest rates, they're going to do that once a quarter potentially. And likely, if we look back to the quantitative easing that the Federal Reserve took into effect really in the last go-around, not, not at the beginning of the pandemic, but I'm going back to the housing crisis in 2008, right 
they didn't increase interest rates, everybody. Those are not like equities. That is not a yeah. lightning speed <laughs> turn of the dial. They are going to increase interest rates. And I'm not going to be, you know, predicting what the Fed's going to do exactly here. But uh, historically speaking, quantitative easing is an easing back in with monetary policy, clicking those interest rates up by maybe a quarter percent. Well, you could start clicking a quarter percent even over a year. It's going to take a little while to get back to the interest rate environment that we were at prior to the pandemic, right. you know, which was somewhere in the zone of maybe three to four percent, right? Right. So yeah. that's going to take some time, and that's not going to happen in the next year or maybe even the next couple of years. So for those people that are again sitting sideline with cash, there has to be a strategy other than cash that's affected by inflation and low interest rates over this next year or two that you likely will want to uh, employ and, and really design, I think, for lack of a better phrase, for those low yielding, heavily taxed dollars. Right. Yeah. Heavily taxed. Again, back to the tax. Uh, right. But <laughs> right. Low yielding and heavily taxed is a checking and savings account. Yeah, those exactly. are our least efficient dollars unless we have a plan to use them in the next six months. There is no account that I could think of that will yield less than a checking and savings account over the next couple of years uh, by design, you know, and somebody right. said, well, the equity market might fall. That's true. But what goes up must come down uh, since inception, real estate and the equity market have only moved this way. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and I think that for me, um, gosh, inflation's crazy. It, it's just, I totally didn't understand before when we, for, when we first met, I didn't, I mean, I understood maybe the, 10% of, of, you know, the concept with inflation, as far as the impact, you know, inflation itself, cool, understand the definition of the term, but right. as far as the impact and how even in that's a compounding impact as well, because every, that's something, I guess that's what I've learned partly from you and from, you know, a few other, the people that I've rely on, uh, when I have stupid questions that I get, you know, pop <laughs> no. into my head, I'm like, wait a minute, why does this happen this way? It's most things do compound. Um, to, to some degree. Right. And uh, when you're talking about, you know, whether it's inflation and it's interest rates and stuff uh, for us, like, you know, I relate back to the real estate side because it's just easy for me, easier for me to verbalize, but the same thing there as things are happening now, as those rates increase, people are freaking out a little bit now because they see yeah. bigger numbers. Right. right. So now because of those low rates and low supply and high demand for homes, we've seen, especially here in California, prices just super appreciation. So anyone who has, you know, yeah. into some homes has done very, very well for the last few yeah. years. But with that, you see those price tags go up. Great. Still not a horrible thing, right? Our rates are still, still low, but with every little trickle up, there's a lot less purchasing power for each person from that, right? When a rate goes up a 1% on what was a $700,000 home two years ago is now like a $1.1 million home or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, the number, that sticker shock hits hard and it does. Yeah. And you're going to pay a lot more with that 1% because of those high numbers. Um, but also it's kind of important to recognize that just a couple years ago, what in 2018 going in 2019 or whatever that where oh, 2018, we, we had hit over 5%, you know, we jumped just, you know, crest over 5% for right. uh, some of the mortgage rates. Right? right. And 
that wasn't bad. That's not a horrible yeah. thing. Think yeah. those rates have to go up and down with, you know, and inflation does tie to that as well. But yeah, but now when we got down to like the low twos and stuff, that's, it's almost too good to be tr- definitely too good to last, but uh, yeah, just too good to be true almost. So it has to go yeah. back up and adjust. Yeah. Uh, there's a, some great stuff that you said there. And I, I think, also, it's it's important to understand with respect to interest rates. You know, there's been some other high inflationary times, relatively speaking. But I'm I'm just going to peg, you know, some pretty high inflationary times yeah. during the Carter administration, right. where you saw double digit inflation. Crazy. But at that time, one of the differences was that you could put cash, money market, we'll call it, uh, into a double digit returning environment right. as well. So somebody might have financed their home in the 80s for 15 percent but they could at least stick their money in a money market instrument cash, right. albeit taxed, again, highly taxed, uh, in a place maybe where they get nine to 11% growth right. rate, depending on that checking and savings, you know, space that they're, they're in at that time. So I, I do think, you know, you know, you, you also bring up a good point. Um, a lot of things feel compounding, you know, yes. the growth in some of these, the appreciation, in some of these properties that you're talking about, not just here in Southern California that we see. I mean, even we just got up a call this morning. Um, we had clients in Texas uh, purchased two years ago. The right. property that they have out there in Austin is exploding, you know, and, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of different pockets in Texas, but uh, there's uh, almost exponential appreciation similar to that right. inflationary concept of compounding interest. And, and there are other counts, you know, to your point, even in the investment space, IRAs, Roth IRAs, permanent life insurances, these all compound with interest. But a unique piece about real estate that we see also uh, isn't necessarily just on the appreciation side. When you have your dollars in real estate, and we think about from a planning standpoint over here, our team, we think about bifurcating dollars. Mm -hmm. We don't want to see all our clients' dollars, even though we manage money over here. We do not want to see all of them in equities in the stock market mathematically, that science has been established. Ernst & Young just came out in the last year with an incredible white paper showing when you distribute money to yourself, you can't have all your money in equities. If you right. do, you're going to take some big losses on the chin over the years. This example, the last two years would be a great indication of that. If you had all your money in equities and you were in retirement taking distributions, you likely would have lost some of that money right. in equities. So when we think about dollars in real estate, and let's say you're not living in the property, an investment property, which you've been, you know, uh, I, I think massively a part of with um, a lot of people here in Southern California across the, the the state, building out something above and beyond just their residential property in these relatively, you know, low interest rate. I say that tongue in cheek. These are lowest interest rate, you know, times that we've ever experienced. You could lock these properties in. Who cares in some yeah. ways? And I don't want to be pegged as the guy saying, who cares what prices are over here? You know, I could see us, you know, as that financial advising team, they're like, they don't care. <laughs> no, <clears throat> but with respect to, if you're able to rent that out, there's not any rental income properties that we see that are trending under inflation. You're able to keep that up with the CPI uh, with respect to those rental properties. So it's great to see that growth and appreciation on the equity side of a property but if you have that as a segment of your planning and you have rental income bifurcated, a segment of a segment of your wealth uncorrelated to the capital markets or the equity space, that makes for a really great strategy of distributing money because you have some passive income, albeit tax on the real estate right. side of things, typically speaking. Right. 
uh, but uncorrelated to the stock market and being able to hedge, if you have a renter in there, uh, at least up to what inflation is. Cool. You're able to charge rent, you know, that's yeah. for the owner to decide. If they choose not to, that's fine. But typically, you're able to, with rental prices, hedge against that inflationary figure, um, especially here in Southern California, if not above and beyond. So that right. makes for a great segment of dollars. Take advantage. Sitting in cash, what am I going to do with the money? We might need a position outside the stock market. Lock some dollars in with respect to real estate. Build that passive income stream and cash flow uh, from a rental income property. Yeah. The other thing that I really like on the investment side of it with the rental property side is you definitely, again, back to the taxes, we have better, you know, better tax deduction, better, you know, tax incentives on the investment yeah. side than you do if you're a personal property. Not that I, I mean, I still obviously have my personal property. I want to live somewhere and I don't want to pay rent. So right. but the taxes again, come into play. You jumped on something that I think is just important to call out to the listeners here. And maybe it comes back to you, but you said something yeah, taxes are a big deal for those investment properties. And anybody who's a small business owner, this is not to just focus on them, but anybody who's listening right now that's a small business owner and thinking about what to do with some excess capital, whether it's sitting in a business account or in their personal account, I would highly encourage you, you know, to reach out to a real estate professional, reach out for Jay's team, you know, or, or wherever you're calling or listening in. Um, that will be likely a massive tax benefit to you to position a segment of dollars there based on your itemized deductions. And let alone thinking about some of these concepts like distributing uh, passive income to yourself, having a segment uncorrelated to the stock market. Um, you need a segment of those dollars in our opinion, but you also need a segment that is uncorrelated. Right. that may not just be sitting in your residence or your home uh, that is not typically a cash flow item, you know? Right. Um, and typically, you know, if you could help it, it may not be the first punch yeah. in terms of borrowing dollars to get ready for a next down payment, especially in this high appreciation environment that we have. You know, we're conscious, not, this isn't from a tax standpoint, but just from an overall strategy and planning standpoint, if somebody could loan 60 to 70% of their value, which is, I think, probably about where the going rate is for most banks, you're not going to get over 70% typically. Right. But if you can get 60 to 70%, Maybe you work on a strategy of 40 to 50%, you know, uh, and, and there's many different ways which you're, you know, well-versed on and how to access that equity, uh, whether it's cash out refi, et cetera, but uh, preserving a segment of segment of those gains still and not rating that account, we'll call it a, a residence, I think is crucial, right. you know, as a thought process from a planning standpoint, because yeah. if, if property values fall and that's the case, all of a sudden 2008 has played itself out again and people are underwater on a property that's over leveraged. The only right. benefit is, is now, you know, in some ways the interest rate environment's lower. It's not five or six percent. Right. You know, you probably finance a property at 3%. So that's, it's not as bad. Yeah. And that, and that, again, back to the benefit for me of the uh, rental side of it is if you don't have to sell what you're in, it's like same as so stocks, right? If you don't have to right. sell what you're in and you're still getting, um, you have a fixed you have, which obviously was not the case all the time in the crash before, right? Not everyone was on fixed and a lot of people were not on fixed rate Good mortgages. So as those changed, you know, you, you didn't have that right now, the safety of a fixed rate mortgage versus rent, right? You don't have to, rents will go up, your fixed rate won't. So as long as you, you're not, a, you put yourself in a good position where you do, you won't have to sell properties, then you're going to yep. win. Um, right. Now, if you're, you, I mean, you still could be an adjustable rate mortgage. Um, 
you know, and, and there's people that play those very well, but it has to be a plan. It, it's not yeah. just like, Hey, this, this is the only way I can get into it. And I'll figure it out later. I definitely know people yeah. who have been like, great, let me jump in at a low rate because, because my knowledge tells me that I believe rates are going to be lower or they're going to drop down from where they are now. And then they refinance right. within their time, but people that do it just to get into something that they don't have a plan for that, that's where it gets in trouble. Yeah, uh, most certainly and in an, an environment like this where we know whether it's two to three times mm-hmm. or every quarter, four times that the interest rate environment is going up. And by the way, in our nation's history, the interest rate environment has never been lower than it is now. So this Same. isn't the the one of the lowest. It's it's the lowest, right. you know, and so it's it's probably not going to go down all that much. So those adjustable rate mortgages right now, to your point, uh, yeah, those are probably a major difference from the 08 crash where they're Correct. practicing quantitative easing and, and tapering the interest rates and the bond buying, the Fed that is, that is a little different. You know, you, right. you probably, unless you're an expert, do not want to be in an adjustable rate mortgage <laughs> right now, unless you really, really have a plan. You want to lock in something that's fixed. Right, right. And and <laughs> you you reminded me of what it was earlier that I was, try- oh, good. That I was trying to think of. Um, when you were talking about business owners, right. And, yeah. or any self-employed person, I, I guess, or, well, applies to everyone to a degree, but there are definitely, uh, some extra options, uh, you know, if you're self-employed, but uh, I think we could do a whole nother, maybe you could just intro a few of the ideas, but we could do a whole nother episode on this step in the future. It's, there are so many different ways. And again, that I did not know of types of, way, you know, ways to be able to utilize your money, ways to be able to protect your money from the SEP IRAs to individual IRAs to, I mean, there's just so many different options of how you can, uh, you know, get money out of your business into your own hands and then how you can borrow against your own investment accounts to, to invest in other things and put, I mean, it's insane when you start peeling back the different ways that you can tear down with your money to save it at multiple level or, or still be able to utilize it even to invest while protecting it from taxes. Yeah. I like that tiered concept, you know, and, and I think too, as a macro to blow that out, you as an example, you know, we're never going to have something, you know, that tiered concept that you had mentioned that's going to outperform your ability to hit home runs, you know, in your business. Th- that's not the tier that we operate from a planning space over here. You know, and, and we'll call that home run, you know, your arena. You're always going to be able to do that better than anybody else, you know, under the sun who's an expert out here in the planning space, you know, or finance space or accounting space. So for whatever business you're in, if we could bolster that tier and figure out not necessarily the home run, but the aggressive strategy, depending on the risk tolerance and the safer strategy on how you tier some of that wealth building, that's what we're really good at. And hopefully, you know, when you work with a planner, that bolsters then that home run opportunity that you have there. And so for a business owner like yourself, you know, we're talking about, you know, the S corps out there, the LLCs out there, um, even the partnerships, you know, I would include that in the conversation and I would directly include sole proprietorships. So for those of you that have not incorporated, you know, or don't have a limited liability company and you're doing business out there with a schedule C at sole proprietorship. Uh, there's a lot of favorability, you know, even within the tax code there. Um, so just by doing business out there called the 1099 guys and gals, uh, you're in business. And uh, there are great ways to tier some of your wealth building to help reinforce those home run opportunities 
that you're really, really good at seeing. And when you work with a team that could hopefully help uncover and unpack that with fact-finding questions to understand what direction you're headed in, uh, it becomes very simple. Then you're just building solutions around, you know, really how you load the bases so that you could get up and hit some home runs. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a some good analogies there. You, you say it way better than I do. I just have yeah. these <laughs> broad spectrum yep. broad scope ideas and no, they're, they're, they're really powerful, you know, and if you could think about things like long-term capital gains as an example versus short-term, you know, right. to the talking points, maybe to go into in more granularity in a, another topic mm-hmm. or call or, you know, however we choose to showcase that, but also the difference between understanding how to extract dollars from IRAs if it's relevant for down payments on property um, versus 401ks, the interest that you mentioned, permanent life insurance becomes a big, big component of that here in California that we see because you're able to borrow some of this capital tax-free. Different permanent life insurance policies are structured differently. You could have them, the underlying holdings tied to the stock market, but you could also have them tied to the general account of the insurance company, which provides safety. Both of those dollars, the cash that grows in a life insurance policy, similar to the equity in a home, as an example, Mm -hmm. the cash that's uh, growing in a life insurance policy, whether tied to the market or the general account of an insurance company, those can be borrowed tax-free. Now, that's a really big deal when we're talking about getting dollars together. Because remember, checking and savings land, land, highly taxed, low efficiency in terms of growth. If we could transition those dollars to no tax in terms of distribution, if accessed correctly, and also positive appreciation versus negative based on inflation, well, that's a huge win you know, for those dollars that otherwise would have been sitting safe, but low yielding and heavily taxed. Right. Um, 401ks and life insurance are unique, typically, depending on the plan provision of the 401k. And this is not uh, um, uh, a broadcast out there to take loans or distributions from the 401k. There are some heavy ramifications, if not done correctly. uh, And if the plan provision is not well understood, but those as well as permanent life insurance, which is much more flexible, in terms of accessing cash, those you could pay typically interest back to yourself when you borrow the money. So in an environment today, even where you're able to go borrow money at a low interest rate, whether it's financing a car or a home, you may not want to pay that interest back to a bank or financial institution. If you could work on paying that interest back to yourself and build that self-fulfilling prophecy in your life, not just over 10 years to wake up well-positioned, but 20 years you're cutting that middleman out, you know, of somebody taking the interest earned on those dollars that you pay yourself tax-free. That concept's a really big deal. Uh, I think the more money you're dealing with and the higher tax landscape you're dealing with, that's for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, there's so many, uh, anytime, even with things that I think I understand, I still bounce that off of you or, or an account account before yeah. I operate because yeah. there's some great concepts that I can understand the concept. But uh, again, like you said, not just tax laws, but those things changing, like I'm not going to be able to keep up with all the time. That's why I always bounce them off of you guys, you know, of like, Hey, is there something I'm missing or how do I best execute this? Which is it's a great asset because there's just no way for me to keep up with, with it actually. And to, I, I wouldn't want to, you know, there's an, oh, I just gosh, need to keep that, up with what I do to, you know, what's what my business is. I need to keep up, I guess. That that's, I think the main point, you know, most clients that we work with could figure this out. You know, you, you always joke and say, I ah, always bounce off of you. You know, when I talk with you, it's pretty clear to me that you could figure this out. Uh, 
but the time that it would take you to scale that you're much probably better utilization of your time is better spent on your home run dollars or uh, sleeping or doing yeah. nothing. You know, you'd <laughs> right. rather do something else than become an expert in this space. Uh, and I think that's where the great partnerships come in. You could really sure. accelerate the learning and the growth curve, um, not just by podcast, but working with experts. You right. know, you don't right. have to become the expert. Uh, most people that we work with rather be the head coach and direct the strategy and the plan versus right. execute it. They want right. somebody else to do that who really, really knows it very well. And Absolutely. Does this. That's all that they do, like you and your team. You know? Yeah. Well, then, then when, uh, you, like, for instance, the individual like myself loses bandwidth to even pay attention to it, it's fine if I don't log into my account for five months because it's being taken care of, you know? <laughs> that's right. <Yeah. laughs> Which happens very frequently. Yeah, uh, yeah that's, that is not uncommon. Yep. <laughs> well, to, uh, I, yeah. just as a one last piece, kind of uh, for some people that sure. are thinking about, you know, cause you, we, we touched on it. You, you touched on it earlier about cash in your account, right? Like in about what savings accounts do not provide or whatever the case is, but how about uh, just, if you could just verbalize the true impact of a flight, like let's just take a right now, like a, let's say a 7% inflation, keeping it simple. And if someone has a hundred thousand dollars in just say a savings checking account, like, Hey, this is my fund for rainy day. Plus, you know, I want to, a couple little things I got planned for this year. What does that mean? How does inflation pack that? Because I think people think of it as like, well, I'm not actually losing money because it's an account. They don't understand where that impact comes from what you're purchasing with that money from that account. Does that, does that make, am I asking the question? No, it's a great question. Properly? That's a, that's a great question. And so what we get in the habit in terms of, in every situation is a case by case basis. So mm -hmm. if some people have some individual questions you know, and they want to reach out to our team. This is a great question you ask. It's something that we get every day, you know, frankly, um, asked of us to extrapolate upon. You could certainly push them to our team and we could spend 15 minutes talking through this concept. But mm -hmm. if you have a hundred thousand in that case and you don't need the capital, let's say you have a nine to five or you, you got cash flow coming in the door, you're still working, you don't need that capital, but you're trying to figure out what to do with it. And and just to add on to the example, maybe it's a down payment you know, ready in the next couple of years, but you're not ready today. We would encourage you to get a segment that's emotionally comfortable out of cash. Right. Due to the fact that if you were to look at an investment portfolio and get negative 7% a year, would that be okay with you? And somebody has to answer that for themselves based on their own safety. Somebody might say, well, I could lose 15% in the stock market. So negative seven is okay. If that's the case over the next year, you're probably somebody who might want to, despite the fact that you will take a loss on that account, that's a guaranteed sitting in cash at negative 7%, you might want to sit in cash, okay? Mm -hmm. Or develop a strategy for the dollars that is safer than the equity market. You know, and I think that that's a, a, a big point. But for those out there that you could assess some of the risk on some of the dollars, you could bifurcate and have a segment of those yielding a greater growth rate than negative 7%. And that's for anybody, and this is what we get in the habit here over, you know, thinking about if you plan on spending those dollars in the next six to 12 months, we would encourage you to leave those in cash. Right. Don't take any of the volatility that is potentially looming there. You know, and you say, well, it's a down market right now. Don't worry about time in the stock market. Forget about that. What comes up will come down. It's not a big deal. This is just a dip. We've had a huge, huge, people are sitting on still massive gains right now coming into Q1, despite the big pullback that we've seen especially in the 
domestic markets, you're sitting on massive gain right now if you're a growth portfolio. Don't sell out of these accounts simply because you're scared, you know, at a loss either. And I think that that's a slight side plug there. But if you're sitting on dollars, you know, 100,000 for the easy conversation out there, and you don't plan on using that in the next year, figure out a position of those dollars that you're comfortable with investing to get them out of cash because you're certainly going to get a, a negative guarantee in that cash base. Now, that might be okay for some of the dollars, or you might be okay straddling that for six months to nine months because you know that you have a goal that you're going to purchase. In this case, let's say your property, you know, you have you wanted to get it down uh, ready and you wanted to get a buy-in before the end of 2022. In that case, we would encourage somebody to stay in cash right? because we don't want to take that volatility on the chin because the plus side on that curve, you know, is there being the market's depressed right now, but based on the volatility that we're seeing, so is still the downside. And you may not be able to recover from that time period. But if you start pushing that out over a year to two years, again, that inflationary piece is compounding and you're going to take negative 15% now. Now, most people may really struggle with something like that, you know, negative seven after two years. So that's where I think having a segment of those dollars invested and getting it out of cash would be a good goal for most people if they don't plan on using that capital. Right. Yeah, that's huge. I think I know that uh, you and I discussed that um, when I was in the penalty borrowing penalty box for being self-employed for the first time and couldn't, mm -hmm. uh, you know, apply for a mortgage. Uh, so, you know, we had that talk at the end of the year, the first two years of my business of, OK, right. cool, how much to leave in cash? Because I knew as soon as I hit that second tax return where I could uh, purchase more property, you know, get, you know, apply for more mortgages uh, that I wanted to do that. So that was kind of a a big piece of our planning was how much to, uh, you know, go ahead and protect and how much to accumulate into that. Like, Hey, we, we know I wanted to make some moves on some real estate and, um, you know, just trying to, I guess, both not lose it all to inflation. Although at that point, you know, like, like we're talking, it was around the two, you know, 2% or lower. So it was a, right. a different and the market. Game was moving up at that time. Mm -hmm, exactly. So I think, yeah, you, you bring a good point. We could have invested those dollars. And this is a great, uh, I think, capping to the question mm -hmm. that you're asking. We could have invested those dollars. And in hindsight, you would have won, you mm -hmm. know, for that quarter or two quarters that you sure. invested the money to get your down ready for the next property that you were involved in. Um, however, the plus side there of five to 8% or five to 10%, whatever you want to throw out there as an example. Right psychologically speaking, and there's been a lot of science, you know, um, back in the psychology of finance, you know, that, that, that's been done in this topic, the psychology around loss is typically greater for most individuals than the psychology around uh, increasing their portfolio or growing wealth. People, in other words, are typically more fearful of losing money than they are appreciative of the gain in the portfolio. So although you could have gained 5%, if we would have come back negative five to seven percent, that that would have been uh, potentially um, detrimental to you getting in to the next goal that you had. In that case, purchasing right. another property. So that needs to be weighed psychologically for the individual based on their own comfortability. And um, it might sound a little like a, a farce out here, like oh yeah, let's weigh it. Well, it's pretty clear. Let's figure out what that time horizon and what that goal is. That's yeah. measurable. So right. it's actually much more granular than a, a pie in the sky idea. And you could build a risk 
tolerance surrounding those two key mechanisms there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. It, and it again, it goes back to everyone's personal needs. Right. And uh, yeah. just really evaluating what, what your, what your plans and goals are. Well, Hey, right. Devin, man, I appreciate you taking time out, even though like it doesn't look too bad uh, from sitting from here, <laughs> looking at your view there. Uh, appreciate your time though, to talking to us today again. And uh, man, if anyone wants to reach out, Devin Deverell, like it's, uh, he's been great for me for sure. Um, and also just really good to uh, shoot, man, you work with several people on our team now and, and also just always a, a resource for us, which I super appreciate. Um, but you want to throw out any way that Thank people you. could reach out to you? Um, yeah, I think need the some two best advice? ways, yeah, the, the two best ways, I would just say thanks for, for saying that um, about your team as well. We love working with you guys. Um, the best way to find us, Google Devin Deverell or coffee and finance on Instagram, coffee yeah. and finance. And then from there, you know, the inroads are endless to our website, you know, how you could get a hold of us, et cetera, or just reach out to Jay. You know, I think that that's an easy one, uh, as well. Um, we love some of the people that you work with on your team, um, not just team, but who you have on this expertish podcast as well. I would encourage people to take a look at the last, I would say three podcasts that you've had, you know, coming into this year. Um, we've, our whole team has listened to a couple of these, especially this last one. Um, and I've listened to all three of these, you know, this last year, um, coming into this year, this is really great information at the beginning of the year and pretty relevant, I think for most people and what they're talking about. I think, you know, the header today being, you know, what do you do with cash and what are the effects of inflation and interest rates in some ways, but, um, really a great start to the year on what you've had on this expertist podcast. You know, it's part of our, it's part of my personal listening. You know, I eat podcasts up. I think it's probably one of the best way to get high quality information that you could really think about for yourself, you know, based on some of these people that are you're having on and just the industry, you know, where podcasts are trending right now. So you're on my mainstay podcast wise right now. We're listening to Expedition, some of the people that you have on here. And um, thanks for providing this platform for everybody and, and our team included. Hey man, thanks for thanks for listening too and coming on here. But uh, yeah, yeah, both. Uh, well, well, thank you. Yeah, and if you, you know, anyone needs uh, has questions they want us to send over to Devin, if you don't reach out to him personally, you can always uh, send us a message uh, on expertishpodcast.com. Just go to the website, uh, throw in your message or what you'd like to prefer. We will. Or like Devin said, go ahead and look him up, look at coffee and finance. Uh, but I'll say too, like, I'll go ahead and volunteer him if you do hit him up. Um, he'll probably be happy to go buy you a coffee and uh, talk about finance in person. I know we've had some good, uh, good conversations yeah. over coffee that, uh, you know, unlock some pretty awesome ideas. So I, I definitely advise it if you're in our area to hit him up and uh, make him buy you a coffee and uh, see what he can do yeah. for you. We'd, we'd love to. Yep. <laughs> awesome, Devin. Thanks so much, man. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for having us. If you could use an inexpensive and super convenient healthcare option, I definitely recommend checking out Skill Mills Telehealth. For me, when I did the research, it turned out that their program worked well as a supplement to VA Medical. So that's the route I went. If you go to their website for the information, skillmill.com, that's S-K-I-L-L-M-I-L.com. Go to the top, click on the telehealth button, and it'll take you to another page with the information on all their programs. Super easy, super easy to sign up. If you click on the get started button, fill in a little bit of basic info, you could even use your referral code expertish podcast in the drop down. And then from there, they'll take care of you and you're all set. Definitely highly recommend checking that out.